Welcome to Cybercast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Sarah Seibert, and welcome back to our ransomware mini-series, which features federal cyber leaders across civilian and defense agencies discussing ransomware trends and how they're working to address ransomware threats. Joining me today is Dr. Kevin Fu, Acting Director of Medical Device Cybersecurity at the Food and Drug Administration Center for Devices and Radiological Health. FDA has been accelerating its cybersecurity strategy to mitigate growing ransomware threats, with attackers increasingly focusing their efforts on health IT systems and hospital networks, which poses new risks to patient safety and care. As part of the agency's effort, FDA recently released an updated draft of the pre-market cybersecurity guidance titled Cybersecurity and Medical Devices, Quality System Considerations and Content of Pre-Market Submissions. The guidance emphasizes a proactive approach to cybersecurity, focusing on security risk management, leveraging capabilities like threat modeling to drive a proactive approach to cybersecurity. To kick off this episode, I'll turn it over to Dr. Fu, who will dive into the potential impacts and challenges of ransomware on medical devices and hospital networks, like delayed patient care and compromised patient data. So today we're joined by Dr. Kevin Fu with FDA. Uh, We're going to dive into some of the challenges with ransomware um, on medical devices and hospital networks and how FDA is combating some of those threats. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, so to kick off this episode, could you explain the potential impacts and challenges of ransomware on medical devices and hospital networks like delayed patient care and compromised patient data? Sure, I I think I can speak to that question. And maybe I should just begin with cybersecurity has really evolved over the last 10 years for medical devices and healthcare from science fiction and sort of hackers and hoodies in their basement to actual threats uh, and even nation state level threats. So it's, it's no longer theoretical. This is, this is a real issue uh, that affects patient safety and, and the uh, highly available, safe and effective delivery of, of healthcare. So one of the, the, the sort of most observable impacts of ransomware is the uh, unavailability to deliver healthcare. So you, you see this all the time. You don't have to look too far in the news. Uh, you know, every day or every week, you'll hear of another health system uh, disrupted by ransomware getting into their um, traditionally their IT systems that affect um, uh, medical records and such. Now, what's changing uh, and what's sort of new here is that uh, this type of malware is no longer just affecting pure information it's also beginning to affect medical devices themselves. So for example, last year, uh, in April of last year, there was a uh, radiation oncology product that because of some downstream effects of ransomware remediation, the manufacturer's cloud became unavailable and the radiation therapy devices depended upon this cloud in order to deliver its uh, therapies. And so uh, these devices were unavailable to deliver patient care for weeks uh, because of this ransomware. So it's no longer theoretical. um, And uh, rescheduling radiation therapy uh, is not as simple as rescheduling a haircut. Uh, There are um, extremely important uh, timing sensitivity for uh, regular dosage. Uh, These are highly utilized devices. 
it's very difficult. Uh, it's not just an annoyance. This is putting patients uh, at risk uh, when these devices are not available uh, as intended. So uh, delayed patient care uh, is a big problem uh, when it comes to ransomware. Um, now, ransomware, in my opinion, uh, is more of a, um, a symptom than a problem. It, it really speaks to uh, subtle security flaws deeply baked into uh, a lot of the uh, healthcare system. Uh, in my opinion, these devices should be able to resist ransomware, but it's clear when ransomware disrupts healthcare or a medical device, um, something went awry in, in the early medical device design uh, with the threat modeling for, for, the, uh, for the medical device. Yeah, that's definitely a scary thought as ransomware only continues to grow and it's affecting patient care delivery. Uh, so you mentioned some of the subtle flaws in the medical devices themselves. How is FDA creating new guidance to better protect against ransomware threats? And what are some of the key takeaways from this guidance and how it could better secure networks and devices? Right. Well, let, let me first just say that ransomware is a real issue. It is a symptom of, again, sort of design flaws in medical devices. And we have created new guidance that we believe will cut to some of the root causes of what makes ransomware so effective, uh, excuse me, what makes ransomware um, harm the safety and effectiveness of a medical device. And uh, so our, we, we published some draft guidance uh, just about a month ago. Uh, on quality system regulations, uh, speaking to pre-market um, sort of uh, recommendations and expectations from FDA to manufacturers on what documentation they should provide regarding their cybersecurity engineering and designs that go into the medical device. And uh, one really important piece of this uh, guidance on, on the pre-market uh, cybersecurity being built in rather than bolted on is something called threat modeling. And I'm a big believer uh, that you need to treat the root causes rather than the symptoms. And ransomware, it's, it's a real symptom. It's causing real problems, but it's not the problem itself. And so if you start to trace back what causes ransomware uh, to be such, such a big issue, it's, it, it can be traced back to things like lack of threat models. So uh, a threat model is the cybersecurity equivalent to hazard analysis. Uh, you're identifying the different kinds of risks, you're categorizing uh, whether they're acceptable risks or unacceptable risks or conditionally acceptable, uh, and you're designing deliberate security controls rather than just purchasing things or whatnot, you're actually very carefully aligning the approaches to the potential threats. And I would say a goal of this guidance is not necessarily to protect against yesterday's ransomware, uh, which is a problem right now, but it's about protecting against ransomware 3.0. We know that this kind of malware is going to be evolving very quickly over time. And for guidance to be effective, uh, it, it needs to stand the test of time. Uh, have a fairly long half-life. So threat modeling is so fundamental, and that's why you'll see uh, a large discussion on, on things like threat modeling uh, inside that guidance document. It doesn't necessarily ensure you're going to be protected against ransomware, but I can guarantee you 
the absence of a threat model means you're almost surely going to be uh, susceptible to ransomware. Right, that makes a lot of sense. And I've seen FDA really promote the threat modeling with the playbook that you all have been working on in uh, partnership with MITRE. Um, and I know that that will really help bolster security. So you mentioned the guidance and threat modeling itself. What advice would you give to medical device developers when it comes to securing systems? Well, I think the operative word in your question is systems. And to that effect, uh, I think you'll see in the draft guidance, FDA has actually changed the title of our pre-market uh, guidance document. So uh, it, it used to be all about uh, uh, pre-market cybersecurity controls and such. You'll, you'll see we've actually aligned it now with the secure product development framework and ties to the quality system regulations. So, um, we think this will uh, give much more um, uh, cognitive, uh, I guess, resonance uh, with ensuring that the cybersecurity approach aligns with the quality system regulation approach. And uh, it's, it would be hard to, uh, I think, over, um, overemphasize the importance of the word system because it's only natural, I think, for a human to think about components. It's really easy to buy a component or a security component. Uh, unfortunately, security is a system property. It's not a property of a single component. So even if you buy a magic uh, widget uh, or you have some special security software, unless it's addressing the entire system, um, it's, it's not a holistic approach. Um, so for instance, only focusing on the network, that might create a nice network security uh, story, but it's not necessarily addressing the full end-to-end -end system. So it's important to have secure components, uh, usually. Um, usually those are the kind of controls one would use uh, when trying to combat the um, uh, foreseeable cybersecurity risks, but you, you really need to take this end-to-end -end system approach. And, and that's why in threat modeling, I usually advise uh, manufacturers uh, to avoid things like assuming a secure hospital network because let me just tell you, secure hospital networks don't exist. Uh, it's a figment of imag imagination. It's a hope. It's a fantasy. Um, so instead, what we try to do um, is make those networks as secure as possible, but don't count on it. In, in fact, instead, threat models, the better threat models, will assume that the adversary can control the network, has complete control of the network, and you can still build cyber secure systems to be able to resist that. But by having a threat model that doesn't count on the network providing security, it's going to lead to a much stronger system level uh, security. And that's gonna help defend against ransomware 3.0 while we're still struggling with ransomware 1.0. Right. Yeah, that's great to hear. And you've mentioned ransomware 3.0 a few times, so the, taking that proactive approach to cybersecurity. Uh, so how is FDA developing risk management and contingency planning to proactively combat cyber threats? Yeah, well, I, I think there, there's sort of many uh, pieces of a nuance to this question. The, the draft guidance, uh, I think, uh, is spot on in the quality systems and really getting toward risk management. Uh, I know, again, sort of human nature often likes to think about computer security in sort of binary, black and white kind of thinking, hey, am I secure or am I not secure? 
Um, but it turns out there's really no such thing as purely secure or purely insecure. Um, it's, it's really much more shades of gray. And so that's where risk management comes in. One of the things you'll see in the draft guidance document uh, is an emphasis on software bill of materials or SBOM. And that is really key to risk management and contingency planning for being proactive because uh, today, the way post-market uh, vulnerabilities often, but not always play out, is there'll be some third-party software product, maybe a very popular product uh, that's in many different systems, and somebody discovers a security vulnerability. It might affect IT systems, um, it, but then it might also affect medical devices. And so without an ingredient list of the third-party software, that is without an SBOM, it's really difficult to quickly ascertain whether a medical device is vulnerable. So this is really gonna help with the, uh, the use case of a healthcare system uh, having many medical devices. And when they have access to SBOMs from their medical devices, they can be much more deliberate about knowing what devices do they need to attend to, what's a high priority, uh, and what ones don't use that particular vulnerable uh, a software product so that they don't have to uh, waste their mental energy running around with their hair on fire for something that uh, isn't vulnerable in the first place. Uh, it, uh, our hope is it's going to allow them to focus uh, on the real problems at hand uh, without, again, having to just guess uh, for every medical device what is vulnerable. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that what I've personally seen throughout government is this whole of government approach to cybersecurity, especially after some of the large scale attacks we've seen in the past few years and following President Biden's executive order on cybersecurity. Uh, so what role does cross-agency collaboration or public-private partnerships play in securing systems? And how is FDA collaborating with other federal agencies to bolster its cybersecurity strategy? Yeah. I you know, I really appreciate this question, especially uh, the, the operative word is collaboration. Um, cybersecurity, it, it's not only a system property, but it's also a shared responsibility. And uh, I recognize most people do not like to hear about the existence of a shared responsibility because that means you have to coordinate and get along with other parties. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm pleased uh, to say that I see a, a, a large degree of very healthy collaboration, not only within government, uh, but with uh, public-private uh, partnerships. So um, within the federal enterprise in the United States, uh, FDA works very often with CISA, uh, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, CISA uh, tends to sort of behave almost like the uh, the EMT of computer security vulnerabilities and incidents, uh, but independent of the particular uh, risk management sector where, where FDA, of course, has the, the remit for medical device safety and effectiveness. But we coordinate very often uh, with CISA, who brings great technical expertise uh, on the computer technology side, and then FDA brings in that particular uh, uh, expertise by statute uh, for the uh, understanding the risks of particular kinds of medical device technologies. Uh, there, there is so much nuance. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, to get a little technical, a buffer overflow is a very common uh, vulnerability in computer systems. Uh, and so it might have a very high risk score from an IT perspective, 
But if you look through the lens of OT or operational technology, a very high risk score for buffer overflow could be either very low or very high for a medical device, depending upon context, depending upon uh, the particular clinical risks uh, to safety and effectiveness. Um, so uh, that's where FDA uh, really pairs well with, with other groups um, in the federal government. And there are many others, um, such as ASPR, uh, H, uh, HC3. There, there are many other groups within the federal enterprise that really work together, uh, for instance, for communicating these risks to the public, for communicating to the public health sector. Uh, and then on the public-private partnership side, uh, FDA uh, really appreciates being able to work with uh, different groups such as the um, Health Sector Coordinating Council and the various information sharing and analysis centers, the ISACs. Uh, so for instance, the health, the HISAC uh, is, is one of them as well as Metasau. Uh, we often work with the Health Sector Coordinating Council, uh, which puts together what I would consider sort of consensus documents on behalf of healthcare delivery and medical device manufacturers on, on very key topics. So it tends to be more strategic uh, such as strategic documents on how to cope with legacy medical devices. Uh, that is something uh, HSCC has, has been working on. On the HISAC and the Metasau side, uh, we often rely on the HISAC and the Metasau and, and other information sharing and analysis centers to um, manage post-market security vulnerabilities. So um, depending upon the severity of a vulnerability, it may be as simple as FDA posting a notice or CISA posting a notice, but sometimes there is so much nuance to computer security vulnerability, we really need the help of the private sector. And so we rely on our partners uh, in the private sector to uh, strategically uh, and with appropriate confidentiality, get the word out to manufacturers uh, and key stakeholders to patch systems uh, as we you know, are working through basically what's an arms race uh, to try to patch the systems before a vulnerability uh, becomes an actively exploited problem uh, uh, by um, uh, would-be uh, uh, adversaries or, or nowadays even nation states that are very economically motivated, such as uh, the ransomware you mentioned. Um, there are a number of other groups we work with, uh, MDIC, MITRE, uh, on an international scale, we work with the uh, International Medical Device Regulators Forum, or the IMDRF, uh, more strategically as opposed to tactically. Uh, for instance, we're working with IMDRF on software bill materials uh, to get more consistency to regulations across the globe. Uh, also working on things like, uh, again, legacy medical devices, uh, how to cope uh, with the problem when a medical device uh, is effectively so old uh, that it's not only insecure, but it's insecurable. Maybe there's even no mechanism to provide a software patch for known vulnerabilities, how to cope with that. Um, and so the IMDRF, as well as the Health Sector Courting Council, is very active in uh, trying to bring consensus to how to coordinate on this, again, shared responsibility that uh, is not ideal that it's shared because it means it's more difficult uh, to manage, but the good news is it's a very collaborative environment, not only within government in the United States and across the globe, uh, but also with the public private sectors.
Yeah, that's great to hear. And you mentioned communication. I know that that's key when I've been listening into some of the uh, other cyber experts across government. I think that that is a common weakness is not everyone's on the same page. Uh, so having that shared responsibility that you mentioned, I'm sure will be essential to cybersecurity moving forward. So since accelerating uh, your cyber strategies and guidance, what are some of the successes you've seen and how do you look to build on this momentum? Right. Well, I, I think there's a famous senator that said um, uh, sort of inputs are easy to measure, uh, but are less meaningful. Outcomes are hard to measure, but, uh, you know, are the ideal things. I think it'll be really difficult to, in the short term, talk about outcomes. But if you look over the last 10 years, FDA has come a really long way uh, and has, has done a sort of full 180 uh, on, on its stance on medical device security. So 10 years ago, uh, I would say the community um, didn't really think, except for a few people, didn't really think computer security was a big deal for medical devices. Uh, I was one of the few people uh, who was urging uh, Congress and, uh, and other key stakeholders that th this is an important area uh, to ensure uh, safety and effectiveness for patients. Today, though, um, you'll see uh, FDA working hand-in-hand -hand, uh, with medical device manufacturers and health delivery organizations and patients and physicians, clinicians, uh, security researchers. And I think the operative word is being collaborative. Um, it has moved from a very adversarial climate, I would say, of 10 years ago, to one where we reach out to each other uh, and we realize that we're all on the same page for at least, we want things to be safe and effective. And so, you know, the question is how to be safe and effective, uh, where there will be, um, you know, different approaches, but it's really great to know that by and large, most of the stakeholders now understand this is a real problem. There are real adversaries out there who are economically motivated to cause harm. Uh, and the real goal is to ensure the, the safety and effectiveness. So. Um, uh, I think this is a real success and, and really hard and, and is a testament, uh, of course, way, well before I joined uh, the FDA, but is a testament to uh, sort of the long-term vision uh, of the leaders uh, in FDA, uh, as well as their partners uh, in other parts of government and the private sector to um, just work for over a decade on this problem and, and not give up. Yeah, it's definitely been impressive to watch the work you all have done. So moving forward, where does FDA headed with its cyber strategy? Are there any projects in the pipeline that we should keep an eye on? Well, you know, of course, I, I can't talk about unreleased draft guidance. Uh, I think I think the biggest part, though, is taking a look at that draft guidance on the quality systems regulation. This is, again, about uh, the pre-market security, getting it built in rather than bolted on. That is where I hope People spend a lot of their eyeball time. The public comment period ends in early July, and um, we're strongly encouraging people to give us feedback. We want feedback uh, from stakeholders uh, to help improve uh, this, uh, this document, which uh, uh, is all about recommending uh, what kind of documentation manufacturers should provide to the FDA review teams um, to ascertain uh, the security uh, and therefore the safety and effectiveness of, of medical devices um, uh, in the midst of these uh, computer security risks. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Again, it's been great to have you as a two-time guest. Hopefully we'll get a third uh, sometime in the future. <laughs>
All right, sounds great. Ransomware is one of the most severe threats facing federal agencies, their partners, and vendors. Subscribe to and follow Cybercast to learn more about ransomware and for updates on the Cybercast ransomware miniseries. On our next episode of the miniseries, we'll be joined by FBI Cyber Criminal Section Chief Brian Smith, who will dive into the evolution of ransomware, transforming from individual entity attacks to enterprise threats. He'll focus on the FBI's investigation of ransomware and how the agency is moving toward a model of mitigation, prevention, and disruption. Thank you for tuning in. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 